0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in, it is Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Chris Mack joined now by Eric Tang Grady, former Pittsburgh Penguin. One thing we know did not happen during your time in Pittsburgh, Eric, they never missed the playoffs. I don't know if we give you all the credit for that or maybe everybody else is still part of things, but what the heck, Uh, we'll give you a little slice of it. 16 year streak of going to the postseason, longest active playoff streak in North American sports has come to an end as has the tenure of Brian Burke and Ron Hextall. So before we get to upper management, before we get to uh, the off season and how we expect things are going to go, I want to start you with this because you have a unique perspective on it. And that perspective is uh, exit meetings. This happens in every major sport. You meet with somebody on the way out the door before you head off for a summer of healing, relaxing, golfing and getting ready for it next year. So, here we are. They've reached their exit this year a whole lot earlier than any other season before. Um what are those exit meetings like in your experience and how do you think they'll go this year depending on who they're with?
1: Yeah, that that, that this is probably a unique situation for every player in that locker room. I mean, I don't know how present um, former employees are going to be in those meetings, who's going to lead them. Um, right. it, it, it generally, in a traditional year, you just kind of recap the season. You go over you know, things on a personal level, on a team level. Obviously, there's layers to the player. Crosby, the, the, the leadership group will have a separate meeting. Their meetings will probably be double the time as a, a younger player who's kind of transitioning from the minors to the NHL as an everyday player. Um, you know, when we talk, start from the bottom, like the, the Drew O'Connor's would be, you know, we're looking for consistency. You brought that up right. towards the end of the season. We need you to build on that and be a bigger piece. Um, where then Crosby, it was, I mean, how's, how are you holding up? How are you feeling physically, mentally, emotionally? Um, you know, we want you to know we, we're dedicated to building this team. Like, And I would anticipate his meeting being more about the summer, of how this team is going to transition next year versus talking about him as an individual player, because those days of trying to critique and tell Sidney Crosby, you know, on on an individual level, those those are way, way long gone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But those, those meetings generally five to you know, five, five to 15 minutes. But for someone like Sid in this situation, he may be in there for a couple hours.
0: Well, that that you led naturally right into the next thing I was going to ask you about, Um, what do you think Sid's feedback is on this season, the last couple of years uh, as a whole, the experience under Burke and Hextall and what he thinks about where this team is headed and what he thinks about um, the last couple of years of his career, whether we're, we've got five, six, seven years left, whether it's just the two left on his contract, how, how wide swathing do you think that conversation gets?
1: I think it gets deep. Uh, I really do. I mean, I think Coming off of this year, he probably still feels like he's primed to win championships. I mean, we're not talking uh, Hendrik Zetterberg at 38, 39, 40 when he's just around to kind of be that liaison to transition an, an organization from one step to the next. Like, I don't envision Sid wanting to be a part of any sort of rebuild and any sort of transition. And why would he? He's playing his best hockey. So, um, it, th- th- I mean, this is this is 24 hours after the season ended, ending, but. I would anticipate him being very vocal and very concerned about the future because he probably feels playing an 82-game season healthy, like I'm buying – I'm on house time. I feel great. I can still win. I can still provide. But, like, where are we headed?
0: What do you think – we've made this comparison before on the podcast to Tom Brady, and I still think it's a valid one because you're talking about exceptional greatness in their field. Um, and in Crosby case, I mentioned just the two years left on the deal after this year. I don't suspect they start talking extension this summer, but what do you think when they sit down and talk about the future? Does Sid say, Hey, I see myself playing until, um, 40 or beyond, uh, does Sid say, well, let's just finish out. Let, let's go year to year as Brady kind of did towards his, at the end of his time in new England. Um, you mentioned uh, certainly he's not going to do any of it probably without his wingmen around li- in Malkin and and Latang, if not his literal wingman in Jake Gensel and or Brian Rust. Um, what do you think his position is on on how much how much he has left in the tank at this point? And do you see that Brady comparison in that if they don't do it the way he wants to do it, he may say, mm, m- maybe I'm I'm not around for the quote unquote rebuild.
1: Yeah. I mean, a, a, a part of me sees that. I mean, I really do. It's a scary place to, to, to be, but um, I always have these weird inclinations of like this Nathan McKinnon, Sidney Crosby connection of mm-hmm. like, does Sid take a nice discount to go finish his career out in Colorado and go play for titles? Um yeah at the same time, like he's done so much for this city. How could anyone get mad if that's what he wants to do? If, um, you know, the, the stepping stone and the plans aren't in place for this team to win. I mean, the problem with where the penguins are at right now is like, they're, they're almost in this two year holding pattern with their salary cap. They've got money committed to people that they cannot make significant changes. They don't have a top five, top 10 draft pick to change this franchise or organization. So, um, I think these next two, you know, next year, next two years are going to be very, very interested to see um, what Sid does, because he's earned every right to to leave his legacy and he's a proven winner. He's won at every level. Like, I, I don't think he has it in him to just, you know, be a be a, a leader and, and just transition a team to the to, to the future.
0: Well, let me ask you about that then, because, you know, there there are different ways to arrive at whatever they think the roster should look like next year. And a lot of that will have to do with whoever the GM is, whether there's a director of hockey ops working above that person. But as far as clearing cap goes, is it buyouts? Is it, you know, because there's a, a $5 million cap hit on a Mikhail Granlin, for example, that you can mitigate and spread out over the next four years. Um, there's a, a, over a $6 million hit on a Jeff Petrie, for example, that you could do the same thing with, you could mitigate it somewhat and spread it out over the next four years. You would, you would hate to pay for guys that aren't on the roster, but that might be the immediate relief you need now. So that down the road, when the cap does increase a little bit more, you're paying for, you know, it's, it's almost like putting things on a credit card at this point and you'll pay it off down the line, uh, or get taking out a loan. And giving yourself the opportunity to build up the roster around the core. Do you see those buyouts happening? Do you see them maybe trying to foist off some contracts on other teams via trade trades of draft picks, or even trades of established players? What's in your mind, if, if we put you in the upper management seat,
1: what's Eric Tangrady
0: doing to try and clear some cap
1: space? Yeah. um, I think that's the most unique thing that I read in um, this press release. Um, Alex Shaw was actually my former agent throughout my pro level, and he was brought in. He left being an agent because he is so good at numbers. So he's kind of their cap guru, and I found it very interesting that they kept him um, on staff to kind of help with this transition to to clear up that cap space. I think the buyout situation is, again, it's just a Band-Aid on a bigger problem. Um, I think you would look to see – Uh, If they can move assets to, you know, I I know that Arizona loves to collect draft capital for, for salary. Um, I think you have to try and see if you can look during the draft to, to move a guy's money for, for, for a pick. Um, It is also a point of, you know, is, is Petrie or some of those older guys, like some of them don't mind hopping on the IR and just kind of like living out there uh, into retirement and getting paid. That could be something as well, but that's what hurts the most about, this Hextall burke error, is when you fire a coach, not that a coach needs to be fired, or you trade a player, you kind of get a fresh start the next day. But yeah. when you have a, a general management and a front office put into place some of these contracts and some of these trades, like, yes, it's exciting for the fan base to say, okay, this Fenway Sports Group cares, we're, we're moving forward, but you're going to have to endure some pain of what they did for the next couple of years before things get better. And that's not going to be a quick overnight new GM is going to come in and save the day.
0: Do you get the sense that there was uh, not open conflict, but at least philosophical conflict between, because you, you make a point about what was written in this press release this afternoon, announcing the, the firing of Burke and Hextall and prior. And it, it, does, it clearly mentions that Mike Sullivan is going to assist in the transition. Um, does that tell us that maybe there was a little bit of a rift between upper management and Sullivan, um, and that, I guess, Sullivan's way might be winning out here. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the
1: fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Adidas. Well, I, I think that Sullivan probably holds a lot of the cards in the sense of, like, this is these are the tools you gave me. I've, I'm a proven coach. We think, I mean, I think we all think he's a great coach, and they just weren't getting the results from the guys that he was given. Um, it also kind of shows me that I, I think I think Mike Sullivan is probably here to stay for years and years and years. Whether that's coaching, transitioning into the front office, like, not very often do you have a coach aid in front office decisions sure he has his perspective on players that he'd like to highlight but to go and say he is going to be a focal piece aiding in our transition of management like I think that 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 shows that he's here for a long time and he he may even be someone that transitions into that front office at some point
0: that's a great point because we don't really see guys hold that sort of I think of Ken Hitchcock is the classic example the GM slash head coach role anymore Um, that just doesn't happen. And I'm not suggesting that Mike Sullivan is going to take on that role with this organization. I think it's too much for one person to handle, to be honest, but you know, if it, if it turns into something like that in the future, where he transitions from coaching into the front office, maybe as the Crosby Malkin, Latang era comes to an end, that would certainly be interesting. And I think that will help decide the direction of this rebuild and whether, you know, part of the rift, I think if it did exist between Sullivan and Hextall and Burke, Eric, is that Sullivan has a, has a clear uh, delineation, an idea in his head, a philosophy, like I said before, of what he wants a team to look like, which is speed. He wants that to be the primary focus. Whereas I think Hextall and Burke had started to try and turn in the direction of size and strength and grit and jam and all those you know all those words that we use. You know, uh, Ruda, Kulikov, um, you know, Heinen. Uh, and, and McGinn before him and those are pieces that I don't necessarily see meshing with the Mike Sullivan system it, it, if it comes down to choosing I think we get a clear idea that this will be speed uh, winning out over say like I said grit or jam or uh, sandpaper
1: yeah and I think that's the the problem with Brian Burke and his vision of Enron Hextall like they won cups a decade ago you know, yeah. he won in Anaheim with, uh, you know, a meat and potatoes, Dustin Penner, Corey Perry, Getzloff, like, big, strong. But that was the game. And just right. because you did that 10, 15 years ago, like, you have to be willing to adapt. Burke went into Toronto, tried to do the same thing, and they just became a slow team. Like, the future is speed. You know, Hextall, L.A., the Dustin Browns, you know, like, they were all meat and potatoes. The, the new unicorns of the NHL are the Tom Wilsons, right? They have speed first, but then they have grit, and then they can play. The days of just having big, ice-filling defensemen and forwards, like, those days are done. You have to build around speed, and I totally agree with what you're saying. I think there was a huge disconnect between, like, okay, we need to be a sandpaper in-your-face team. Like, sure, that's great, but if we're too slow to play that way, like, forget about it. Like, absolutely forget about it. Yeah, I just – it,
0: it, you noticed it in the comments of Evgeny Malkin, I think, after the Chicago loss too, where he started to talk. I mean, before the season, I mean, really, only six, seven months ago, Evgeny Malkin was asked about being one of the older guys in the league, and he said, "No, no, no, we're not old. We're not old." And he said exactly the opposite after the loss to the Blackhawks, in that, "No, we're 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 getting older now, and guys are fast, and they can't they can't skate with teams anymore like they used to." And if you're going to bring in supporting pieces, you know, you can have your 36 and 37 year olds who maybe don't have the wheels they used to your supporting pieces better have that speed.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Look at every top team um, in the, in the league and the, and they can absolutely fly. I mean, like Tampa Bay, and we always go back. It's easy to talk, compare the champs, but like when you look at the Tampa Bay's, to Boston's, like we talk about watching two different hockey games, some nights, like we, we right. watch them, them play, you watch Colorado play. It's like, Holy smokes! um So yeah, it, speed speed kills in this game. It's the future. Physicality is obviously important in playoff hockey, but ultimately, speed speed kills, and that's got to be the direction heading forward.
0: All right, let's talk about the elephant in the room, or I guess the elephant in the crease rather, which is the goaltending situation. Because I think when people make the claim that better goaltending this year gets them into the playoffs, they're 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 on point in a lot of different ways. Were there other were there other drawbacks with this team or there other issues that didn't that went unaddressed certainly but I think better goaltending might have helped plaster over some of those dents in the armor uh and they didn't get it so Tristan Jari's an unrestricted free agent uh Casey DeSmith he's got a year left on his deal um what is what is the solution to a situation in goal in a in an offseason where we've talked about it before the free agent market is not very rich nor deep um, it might require a big trade. It might require moving personnel. You're not necessarily excited to move and also trying to clear cap space. Um, you might have to think really outside the box. Uh, Jeff Hathorn, who I'm going to talk to in a little bit, was on with the fan morning show with us today and said, you know, maybe it's going after a restricted free agent trying to, you know, uh, tender uh, somebody like a Jeremy Swayman in Boston, for example. Uh, you've got to think outside the box. I would think, Eric, to fix this goaltending situation that, really feels like it's been spiraling out of control since Matt Murray's final season.
1: Yeah. That's the biggest hole uh, for me. And you make, you make a point of a good goaltending probably, probably gets them into the playoffs. Right. But I don't still envision that like getting them through a round. No, Uh, they just had too many holes elsewhere. Um, I think they have to probably look at trying to find a goalie who had success in the past. Who's probably a little bit overpaid right now and move money one way to take money in return. Like, uh, I'm looking at the the list of the top goalies in the league, and it's like, you know, they're probably looking at the 30 to 40 range of trying to find somebody who can jumpstart their career again. Like, uh, you know, like maybe like a Philip Grubauer who's making a lot of money and probably hasn't performed uh, his top top of his his class. Um, Maybe sending some money there, bringing him and hoping that a fresh start will get his game back. But I don't think you can go out and spend six to, to eight million on a starter because they just don't you have too many holes and too many gaps. I think it's going to end up probably being Jari goes and 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 tests the market, mm-hmm. sees what's out there. Um I would anticipate him probably making high-end backup money, probably somewhere around you know two to three and a half million in, in it possibly in the open market. But uh I would see it as they have to probably highlight someone who hasn't had their best year making some good money and shifting money the other direction. But again, we're talking a Band-Aid to a bigger problem because most of these teams that have had success have drafted internally, got three solid entry-level deals out of those guys and then had to pay them. The teams that pay big bucks for goalies don't really pan out too, too yeah. well in this league.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really is. You know, I'm just scrolling through the list of names. And I mean, I mentioned an RFA like Swayman. He's young and 24, but again, you're talking about an offer sheet and going through everything involved <laughs> there. Same with Samsonov in Toronto um and and then you come around to like you said the guys who are maybe looking to get to reclaim something like a like a martin jones maybe i guess but it, it, seattle's not letting him walk without a fight especially on the cap hit that they have And at same could be said of gustafson in minnesota or freddie anderson in carolina it's just it's not a quick or easy fix and it's going to take a lot of creative thinking it's not simply going out on the market and getting it done so All that being said, let me circle back around then to where we started, which was the exit meeting. And I'm just curious, like, what is breakup day? You get through the exit meetings, right? And everybody's disappointed. Everybody's down. What is breakup day typically like? Like, we see it from our perspective in the media or as fans. We see guys looking, you know, down and depressed naturally. So because their seasons come to an end and we see the sticks getting taped up to get shipped back home or whatever it is. The gear is all packed away. Um, what's breakup day like in the room and for the guys? And is there sometimes a sense of relief? Is there uh, it just just what's it like that day and then the the few days following it?
1: Yeah, so it, everything happens very very quickly. Like I would bet that they're probably in the room today, getting things organized, getting packed up. Um, you know, I I'd be interested to see. You could always tell, and it's it's not as visible as you it, it, to the, the the normal fan, but. If you start seeing these guys, like, head out of town in, like, two, three days, like, they're pretty ticked off. Like, they're pretty ticked yeah. off. And, like, there might not have been as some as much cohesion in that room as we, like, had thought. Like, in a traditional year, if you have a good playoff run, a good season, guys will hang out for a couple weeks. They don't want to leave each other. But I would anticipate they go through the meetings. They have a couple nights. They get together. Maybe a will cook out or something like that. And I would say guys are probably going to start hitting and getting out of town as quick as they can because I think there's probably a lot of frustration um in that room and there's just so much uncertainty as well that I don't know I, I feel like some of them may want to be re- remove themselves just from this environment and decompress and just try to probably do some soul searching as well yeah
0: it's gonna be something to wait to uh, to watch the way this offseason plays out Tango thanks for the time today man thanks for the time throughout the regular season if you don't mind we'll call on your expertise occasionally in the offseason both as the playoffs get started and then as we rapidly hurdle towards the draft and free agency and a new season in the fall, man. Thanks so much.
1: No, thank you. It was fun. Yeah. We're going to, it's going to be, it's going to be an off season that as a Penguins fan, something we've never been accustomed to. I mean, there, there's gotta be more movement. I would say around that July 1st deadline that it, within this organization than, than, than we've ever seen. So it will be an exciting time to talk about hockey as we move forward. But, um, NHL playoffs, nothing beats it. This is the greatest time in the world to be a hockey fan. So I am as disappointed as I am to not see the Penguins, like, you know, get into the playoffs and, and watch them. There's going to be some incredible ice hockey here for the next few months. And I'm, I'm pretty juiced up for it.
0: Yeah, this is going to be, uh, even without the Penguins in it for the first time in a long, long time. You're right. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs, man. There's nothing like that first two or three overtime game and guys dragging themselves up and down the ice Leaving it all out there. It is, it's the best postseason in sports. So look forward to talking to you about it, man, as it gets going in the next week here. Appreciate the time. Yeah,
1: you too. Thanks, man.
0: Always great to pick Tango's brain about any number of things, but especially the atmosphere in the room. Heard the word frustration there. I can just, you know, you got it on the faces and in the voices of the guys in that room the last few nights not just after blowing the lead to Columbus in a meaningless game. I think it was Jason Zucker who said just not a lot of energy out there, uh, but you could see it, you know, the sagging slumped shoulders when they came out to hand jerseys to the fans after the Chicago loss and uh, statements that night after that loss of Malkin talking about, as I mentioned earlier, um, they're just, they're starting to feel old because they are now granted. Malkin, Crosby, latang they all had good seasons, great seasons, I think, in Malkin's and especially Crosby's case. So there's more in that tank, but um, a, a whole lot of soul searching, I think Eric called it, uh, for a lot of these guys to do as the season rapidly approaches for them and the Stanley Cup playoffs get started up here. In the next couple of days, somebody who was in the room to see the reaction of those guys Thursday night in Columbus joins me next from 93.7 The Fan Sports Director Jeff Hathorne next here on Fifth Avenue Face